0: lot of lost people in this world. Pray that God will save them. Pray that God would send some their way that they might hear the gospel. Pray that it would be you even better. You know I I want to uh, break the mood just for a moment here. I hate to take up much time because most of y'all are like already drifting. As soon as the music stopped you're (laughs) like hang in there. Look I realize it's been a long week already but hang in there. I I do want to address this to the AV crowd I don't know who's in charge of the technology around here and I realize that uh Herbert's not going to be here long you don't want to invest a lot in him but um yeah yeah I mean I took my shoes off and counted it up earlier got 90 some days is that right Herbert 96 96. Uh, 96 days like I said I know you don't want to wrap a whole lot up in him but y'all need to get one of those karaoke systems for this screen because I've been watching Herbert. If y'all been watching, you know what I'm talking about. Because all the words are right there on the screen. I mean, that's high-tech redneck stuff right there. And, and and yet, Herbert, I don't know what he's singing to. Y'all need to invest in one of them bouncing balls that bounces to the word that comes up next. Because he's up here singing cherry drops instead of mercy drop falling. And I, I was watching his lips, and I'm thinking, man, what is he singing? So y'all, y'all look into that, will you? But uh, all kidding aside, that is a cool thing. And every time we come out here and my folks come see that, they're like, why can't we put the word on the screen? So thank y'all. Gee, <laughs> thanks. What a good week we've had so far. And I know it's been a long one already. But if you have just a little bit of joy in your heart because you recognize that Christ lives there, would you just grin for me right now? All right, better yet, turn and look at your neighbor and grin at your neighbor. And if they are asleep, smack them. Gone. All right. All right. I didn't hear any smacks, but I'm seeing a lot of grin and you just increased your face value just like that. We started off on Sunday evening with a message entitled Daymakers or Bone Breakers. I took a vote in here and got a unanimous vote right like just like that I said how many of you would like to make someone's day every day of your life everybody raised a hand I said how many of you would like to be those old sour pusses that are ruining people's day every day and just sort of breaking their bones and not a single hand went up at least not that I saw and Herbert was probably considering it at times but he now he wants to be a day maker too what I talked about on Sunday night is something that seems like it's a foreign concept but should be inherent to who we are as believers as simple concept called joy three little letters but it's one of the biggest words on the planet joy and I began by proving to you that our joy is part of our witness or our lack thereof you see whether you realize it or not if you claim the name of Jesus Christ you are witnessing everywhere you go You see, the world's watching you, they're listening to you, and they're trying to figure out if there's anything to what you're saying. Why? Because this world is full of a bunch of hypocritical people who have walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, and they walked out the doors no different than when they came in them. We are seeing it all over. People say, you know what, if that's Christianity, I don't need any part of it. Why? Because they expect us to be different. And one of those differences should shine and show in our lives by how we carry ourselves and and how our joy shows in our life. I had some visual aids the first night of, of some of Herbert's family. He shared with me one of his family albums, and I pulled a few pictures out. Do we still have those pictures tonight? Yes, no, maybe. All right, look, if you still have those pictures, go ahead and just put them up in any order. It doesn't matter to me. Just put those pictures up on the screen as a visual aid tonight. So as these pictures of Herbert's family pop up, I just want to ask you simple questions. It's coming, it's coming. They're working. Look, they got their minds together. I see the smoke. Look at that. I love, I love it. I love it. Yeah, hey, there we go. All right, so file this guy away for just a second as I ask this question. Would you rather hang out and spend a little bit of time with this fellow or the next fellow here? Yeah, look Uncle, at that. Uncle Smiley. That's Uncle Smiley there. <laughs> see Uncle Frowny. then. Which one of these guys, one or two, would you rather sit and hang out with for a while? Number one, grinning from ear to ear, or number two? Number one. Okay, let's go on to the next picture. Oh, now look, I'm going to tell you something. Now, that is one of the sweetest faces you will ever see. I see those smile lines on her face. I see something deep in her eyes, something precious. It looks like there's something deep down that's special in her. Would you rather sit and have a cup of coffee with this lady or this next one, Miss Bertha, better than you? Which one, one or two? <clears throat> All right, so you, don't, you wouldn't want to sit and have a cup of coffee with Bertha better than you, would you? Because she's better than you, and she's always negative Nancy. She's just not that much fun. A more important question If these visual aids, which ones of those folks, that fella and that lady, which one of those would you believe truly has the love of Christ in their heart if they're trying to witness to you? The one that looked like they just smelled something bad, or the man that looks like his beagle just ran off with a deer? Which one do you want to hang out with and hear about Jesus Christ from? It's real simple. Those people whose facial expressions seem to show joy. Now listen, I'm not talking about happiness, and I'm not just talking about smiling. But I am telling you this, if you walk up to me looking like somebody licked the red off your lollipop, don't try to sell me what you've got just the truth if a salesman meets you in the lot of a parking lot you're looking at vehicles you want them to be upbeat and positive you do not want them to walk out the door look like they're mad at the world and say what do you want you don't want them to give you a hard time and be negative you don't want them to say oh you don't want none of these cars they all junk You want somebody to pop out that door and you want them to sell their product and you want to see that they too believe in it. I'll tell you, when I go to buy a vehicle, I want to know that the guy I'm asking this vehicle about, I want to know he's driving one like it. I want to know that he knows it's the real deal. And I ask him a lot of times, have you ever had one? You ever had one of those, and what kind of service did it give you? What's it like? How do you feel about it? That matters, and it matters more so when it comes to our Christian witness. If you are walking around all in the dumps all the time, and if every little thing that comes your way shakes your foundations to the very core, who do you think wants your Jesus? Because they're thinking, well, if he ain't big enough to take care of their problems, there ain't going to be enough to go around for me because he didn't even get through them. Folks, it's critical that joy be a part of not what we do, but who we are. And then I went on to prove to you in that message, we have reason for joy. I started with some of the things that are going on in the world around us today. I talked to you about how, yes, if you turn the news on and you get focused in on that stuff, you're seeing a lot of negative things, right? I mean, really, there's enough on the news in just 30 minutes to depress you for a lifetime, if that's all you're focusing on. The world would have you believe Christianity is on the decline, and we're on the way out. We're irrelevant. The news would have you believe that the religion that's growing the fastest is Islam. Then you watch the news, you would think that every church out there is closing its doors, and they're all dying. The facts are quite different than that. I shared with you the facts tell us that Muslims are coming to Christ Faster and in larger numbers now than they ever have in the history of the world or that religion. That's a big deal. We love to think about hating these people and what they believe and how crazy it is when we should recognize as Christians they have eternal souls too. And guess who loves them with all his heart and died on the cross for them? God himself. And they are coming to Christ and that's the fix. The fix isn't wiping them all off the map. It's loving them enough to pray for them and pray that somehow, some way, as that song these precious folks just sang is that they will somehow be saved. And things will change and it's changing. That's good news, isn't it? It's a matter of whether you're focusing on all the negative or whether you're focusing on that positive. Then there's the fact that the church in China is growing so fast, so rapidly, that Telegraph magazine reports that they believe that by 2030, China will be considered a Christian nation. Now, folks, when you consider the political clout they have and the economic power that China has, imagine what that could do to the face of the globe. And then we talk about how all these churches are dying. And I will never tell you I think it's a good idea for a genuine, God-fearing, Bible-believing, teaching, preaching church to close. But I will tell you a lot of churches are dying and it might not be a bad thing because if they've gotten away from this... And they're not following the supreme ruler of the universe and what he wrote, which has not changed and will not change. If they've gotten to the point where they're just trying to be culturally relevant and tickle people's ears with entertainment, maybe it's time that they close their doors. But the point of all of that is this. Yes, some churches are closing their doors, and that seems to be a sad thing. But do you realize new church plants are popping up all over the globe? And in America, there is a new church boom. Then churches are popping up quicker than older ones are dying. And the people going to those churches, they say 60 to 80% of those people are people that were never churched before. You see, they didn't want to go down there, the, the high-flying church of the tambourine, because they heard about how them folks fall all the time and how hypocritical they were. And they didn't want to get involved in all the politics and the garbage, and so they didn't bother. But then a new church comes along, and they start hearing, well, maybe they're, maybe they're doing some good things. Maybe they're not involved in all of that, so some good things are happening. And then I ask you to just consider the reality that you woke up this morning. That's reason enough for joy, isn't it? You woke up this morning. That was a luxury afforded to only those who are still able to hear me. Think about it. A lot of people left this world today. You woke up. You have a pulse. God still loves you, and you're still here to be used by the good Lord himself. And then there is the ultimate fact that God is still God. And if you are his, you're still a winner and always will be. And nothing, nothing should be able to touch your joy if you are a child of the king. You're on the undefeated team and you will be right up to the very last breath here because then you step right into glory where you'll take the rest of your breaths and never have another last. Well, it's just unreal when we think about the reasons we have for joy. There's not a person in here under the sound of my voice that has everything they want right now. Why? Because somehow we just can't seem to be content. We live our lives reaching for, struggling for, scrapping for that next new piece of plastic because that's what everything's made out of these days, right? And we're trying to get that next new piece of plastic or that next dime that we think we need to make. We're trying to do whatever it is to be happy. And so I know that there's not a person in here that's got everything they want. And if I were to ask you, not a soul in here would say every single thing in my life. Every detail is going exactly as I expected or wanted. But I will tell you this, you are blessed. And you have reason for joy and shame on you if you can't find it. I would tell you that if you claim to be a believer and you cannot find a reason for joy, you need to come on down that aisle like that fella in them two shoes and give your heart to Christ Jesus. Because if you belong to him, you've got reason for joy. So we started with that, and then the second night, uh, last night, we talked about how our joy should be showing. Since we realize that it's important that we have joy as a part of our witness, so that people will see there's something genuine and want to know, hey, what is, what is that joy all about, and we can share it with them. I said, your joy ought to be showing. I left here on Sunday night, and one of our members was here, and she was getting ready to get in her truck. She's grinning from ear to ear. I mean, she looked so happy at like what I had preached had settled in. And she went to get in her truck, and I said, careful, your joy is showing. Now, I was talking about her smile all day long, but she immediately started reaching for her dress. What? What's showing? What's showing? She's freaking out. I'm like, it's okay. She's red as a beet, and she's embarrassed. I'm like, hey, no, your joy is showing. And you know what? It should be showing for the rest of us. And I'll tell you, at this point, we realize that if it's supposed to be there, then we need to figure out why we don't have it and how to get it back. And I told you it was a simple matter of focus. It's a matter of what you're focusing on. And I told you last night, and I did not mean to be cruel. I meant every word of it. We need to be cross-eyed. Every last one of us need to be cross-eyed. Fixed on the cross of Jesus Christ and the Jesus Christ of the cross. You know, everything in the Scripture teaches that. You start back at the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and you find that the very first one is that God should be number one in your life, not on a list of things, but number one in your life, and then there's a list of things. He said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Love me. And then if we look at Matthew twenty-two, thirty-eight through 40, we realize there that Jesus himself is saying the first and greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Make God first in your life. That's the greatest commandment. That's Jesus' words, not mine. What I'm telling you guys is that if you intend to have joy, you're going to understand that Jesus must be first in your life. You've got to be focused on him. I use that little acronym that my son Micah shared with me many years ago. Whether it was his original property or he heard it somewhere, I don't know. But he came home and he said, Daddy, you know what joy is? I said, I oh, don't know, son, what is it? I think I got it. But he said, it's J, Jesus, O, others, and Y, you. And if it's in that order, Daddy, you've got joy. And he's right. So we started with that J last night with the message, your joy is showing, proving that we needed to focus on Jesus Christ first. In John 15... When we look at verses 4 through 10, we have that passage where it talks about I am the vine and you are the branches. And as he gets to the end of that, he says, These things I write unto you, that your joy might be full and that it might remain. I love the way that's written. What he's saying is I want you to be overflowing with joy. It shouldn't be something that we have to work hard at. We ought to be just bubbling over with joy when we realize all the wonderful things that God is still doing, that he's still on the throne, and that we're still saved, and that never changes. We ought to be full of it, and we ought to be running over. One of our youth years ago said, I'm so blessed that my cup's running over, and I'm drinking out of my saucer. That's what Jesus was getting at. Our joy should be full. And he said also it should remain, it should stick with you. But he says I write these things so that your joy will be full and remain. What things did he write? Abide in me you want to have joy, the first part of that is your life has got to be focused on Jesus Christ and his will for your life day in, day out, everywhere you go. Think of Peter. We looked at that whole passage last night, Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. As we looked at that, we see the disciples out on the boat. There's a huge storm. They're scared to death. They're probably a little green around the gills. Things are not going well. They're just figuring, okay, we're getting ready to go on down to David Jones' locker, even though by then they hadn't heard of David Jones, but they figured we're getting ready to be swimming with the fishes it's over for us it's too late for anybody to help us at this point they want no coast guard wasn't any life preservers they were just out on a handmade wooden boat and things were getting bad and here comes jesus walking up about four in the morning on the water right there on those crazy waves. he looks at them in this situation four and a half miles roughly out in the middle of this body of water and he said calm down it's me And I looked at you last night, and I said, if the world and its struggles and its trials and the things that are going on around you is taking your joy, then you just turn around and look, because Jesus is saying, if you'd focus on me, here I am, I got you. And he's going to calm the storm. Remember, his hand is not shortened. He can still calm a storm because he's in charge. Whatever it is you're going through, he's looking at you saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. And I'll get you through this. I got this. And as they did, they calmed down a little bit. And Peter, man, he's that that gung-ho, zealous guy that if he thinks it, he's going to say it. And he said, well, Lord, if that's really you, tell me to come on out to you. He said, well, come on. And I told you last night, Jesus is saying that same thing to you. He's telling you to come on and follow him and stick with him. Peter jumped out of the boat, took off, and as long as he was focused on Jesus Christ, he was walking just fine right across that big old body of H2O. Now, i got to tell you something. That's one thing that we ain't figured out. With all our technology and all our resources, all our wisdom and smarts, nobody has figured out how to walk on water. I went out fishing with Herbert one time. He and I and old Craig Willingham from Barry's Grove. Y'all know Craig, don't you? We were out there fishing one day, and, and, and listen, we won't catch you nothing. It's just the truth. And Herbert, now, he don't eat much. He usually lives on that bag of bird seed that Deborah fixes for him. She calls it trail mix. It's just bird seed. And, and maybe a pack of nabs and a little something to drink here and there. I watch him walking down the hall sometimes, and he'll have that nab. He'll just throw it in and keep on going like it's a little power pellet, like Pac-Man or something. He's gone. But he done got hungry, a little snacky, and he left his poke back up on the bank there, his little sack with his stuff in it. So He said... I'm going to go get me something to eat. And Craig said, well, we'll row the boat on back over there and let you get it. He said, no, I'm good. Herbert gets up. He steps out, and he walks right across the water over there to get his lunch sets down, eats a little bit, comes back, gets in the boat. Well, Craig's looking like, what in the world is going on here? And I said, you know what? I'm hungry, too. And Missy packed me a good lunch. She don't give me that birdseed stuff. Man, I had a plate of lasagna and some garlic bread. And a Dr. Pep over there in my cooler. So I get out, and I walk right on across that water, and I get my stuff, and I eat, and I come on back. And Craig said, great day in the morning. He said, I- I'm going to try that, too. I'm hungry, too, because, you know, Craig ain't going to be outdone. He's a Baptist preacher like the rest of us. He, he jumped out of the boat, took one step, went straight down. Herbert looked at me, he said, you reckon we should have told him where them rocks were? <laughs> You know, there's been a lot of folks on this planet that have tried to do a lot of things and figure out things like this, but not in all our wisdom have we figured out how to walk on water. But Peter did it. You see, we pick on Peter because he said, oh, he lost his faith. Listen, at least he got out of the boat. He took some steps, and you know, as long as he was focused on Jesus... He was just fine. And I'm telling you, folks, if you will remain focused on Jesus Christ, nothing's going to come against you that's going to really bother you. Oh, it might frustrate you, and you might do like me and mumble and grumble just a little bit, but quickly you will snap back to attention because your eyes are going to go right back to Jesus. Your heart's going to go right back to Jesus. He has never, as my brother said earlier, he has never let him down. He's never let me down, and he's never let you down either. You might be going th- through things and you say, why me, Lord? Why shouldn't we be saying this? Why not me, Lord? Good gracious. He was the sovereign of the universe. And he came down here and put on despicable flesh when he was God. And he let his own creation, spit on him, beat him, curse him. Put him on a tree that he created and kill him mercilessly. One of the worst imaginable deaths of all time on the cross. You know, the word we get the word excruciating from out of the cross, excrucis. Why? Because excruciating exactly what he experienced. He went through that. He was persecuted in every possible way. Who are we to think that we're better or above that? He said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake. For so were the prophets of old, and so was Jesus. Folks, what we should be asking is, why not me? We need to quit whining and moaning and thinking that every little problem that comes along is going to take us out because that's the worst that can happen. It can take us out and then we're in glory. We need to stay focused on Jesus Christ. And if we would just do this, we could walk on water too. Maybe not literally, but you will be doing things that are miraculous like bringing lost and dying souls into eternity. Because if they see the joy that's in your heart and life because you really got Jesus, not because you got a lot of lip service, but because they see you've really got Jesus and there's something different in you, you're going to watch a miracle take place. We were talking earlier about a dear brother that works and serves his self silly in this community. And I said, what a blessing it is to see a man that was in his position years ago and what God can do. You see, we get to be a part of that miracle if our joy is real and our witness is solid. We get to watch people transform from death unto life. And didn't we read that right there in the scripture the other night? Didn't we read that we are the savor of life or death in the people's lives that we come in contact with? Which one do you want to be? Your joy should be obvious because you know Jesus Christ. And I'm pounding this to death because that was the most important one. Here's what it boils down to, Hebrews twelve two. We need to be looking constantly unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who, listen to this, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down now at the right hand of God. If we will set our hearts, our eyes, our affections, our allegiances on Jesus Christ who is the author and the finisher of our faith. What that means is he's the one that wrote your story of salvation. He writes the story about how you were once lost and doomed to a very real and literal hell. To how now you are eternal and will spend your eternity in a beautiful place called heaven where everything's perfect. He's the author and the finisher, and he's the only one that can write that story for you. If we'll set our eyes on him, recognizing that his joy was found in serving us and that he loves us, we're going to be all right. And that's a perfect segue into tonight's passage. If people see your joy showing, they will be far more likely to want to know your Jesus. But if they see you don't have anything genuine, don't try to witness to them because they're not going to hear you. They're going to see what you're doing a lot louder than what you're saying. So tonight we move on to the O of joy. We talked about the J, that's Jesus. I hope I drove that point straight home. Tonight we talk about the O, the others in joy. You know, we are so self-centered. We are so selfish. We live in a selfish culture and society where what matters most is what we see in the mirror. And if we're honest, we'd all say amen here. The only reason we don't hear a lot of amens to that kind of thing is because it's awfully uncomfortable. But it is a reality. Think about what the majority of your time is spent thinking about, working towards, or what you're after. And if we're honest, I think we rank way up on the list, don't we? Is it? paramount in your life that you do what God wants and then look after other people's needs or is it usually let me take care of my needs hoping God's going to help me get what I want and then if there's extra left I'll give it to God which is such a shame he deserves more than our leftovers and then if there's anything left after that then I'll let it trickle down into other people's lives that's not going to bring you joy. Why? Because if we are genuinely Christians, it means we are little Christ, and Christ above all proved that it was about doing the will of the Father and looking out for other people. Jesus put himself last every single time in every circumstance and every narrative that you will read of him in the Scripture. Check me up on that. Everything he was doing was to please the Father and to take care of other people. You know, as we look at tonight's message, and if I had to title it, I'd call it, it, it He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Remember that song? He ain't heavy, he's my brother. Or for you ladies or whoever, she ain't heavy, she's my sister. As we look at this message, I want you to think about others. And if you tune me out or fall asleep the rest of the night, just hear this. Other people should matter more to you than you matter to you. That is a Christian principle, not my thoughts, not my ideas. And it is totally contrary to your human nature. But it is what you need to employ if you want to find real joy. You see, I've tried it both ways. I have tried always looking out for number one, just like a lot of others have, just like you may be trying right now. But I have found that there is far more joy to be had in doing for other people than doing for myself. Because as for me, I can do one thing, and then I'm thinking, okay, I want to do this next thing for myself. Oh, and then there's this other thing. Because I already said it, we're always working towards the next thing or looking towards the next event in life, and we live almost like, okay, got that done, got to do a next, got to do a next, got to do a next. It leaves you empty because it's never going to be enough, never going to be enough. Me and my son, and I hope I can pick on him a little bit tonight, we joked about this a few weeks ago. That boy is straight up hooked on some tennis shoes. And I'm not talking about the kind of kicks that I buy where I can fall up in a place and get them for twenty, twenty-nine dollars and roll out and be good. I'm talking about the hundred and twenty-nine some dollar shoes. And I'm thinking I m I and I'm like my grandfather, if it costs $129, I ought to be able to live off of it for a few months. Like eat it or live in it or drive it or something. But my son loves some tennis shoes and he can tell you all the name brands and all the certain models of it and all. But the other day he was riding with Missy down the road and a song came on the radio. And I mean, every day he's showing us new shoes. A song comes on and it says, "I've got a hundred pair of sneakers and only two feet." And Micah said, "Mama, Mama, did you hear that? Mama, that was deep." <laughs> he, he he grabbed his heart. He said, "Mama, that was deep." She said, "What? What did he say?" He said, "He said I got a hundred pair of sneakers and only two feet." And Missy said, "Well, what did that speak to you?" He said. Well, for us who love shoes, that's speaking to me that I need to settle. I don't need to want all these shoes. I don't need all of that. But you know what? We've all got a shoe in our life. We've all got a shoe in our life. Something that we want the next one of. And as soon as you get it, you know what? They have come up with a way to make the new one just that much different. And it's going to come out the day after you buy that one. If it's a truck, I guarantee there's going to be a new feature on it. I will never forget when Missy got a car a few years back and it had bun warmers in it. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Them seats where you push a button and all of a sudden your backside's getting toasty. I'm thinking, now that is the bee's knees right there. (laughs) And I had just gotten a truck and it didn't have it. And I so wanted that next truck. Like, man... And I didn't want to get it that way, but I ended up, Some we had a little bump up, had to get another truck. You know what I got me? Some bun warmers. <laughs> but you know, just as soon as that come out, now they got them where they'll heat up your back too. Not just your backside, but your whole back. I'm thinking, great day in the morning. Right, now I don't have that. My point is if you're focused on what you want all the time, you are never going to find joy because the, the Lord is going to make sure that you got what you need, but you're always going to want the next something that you don't need. But if you will spend your time trying to figure out how to do for others and to be selfless instead of selfish, you're going to find joy, I promise you. I promise you, how good does it feel when you do something sacrificial for someone else? You know what I mean? Because y'all are one of the givenest communities on the planet. People knock Little Roxborough all the time, and I just want to knock them because I'm thinking, man, we got our flaws, we got our warts like every frog, but I tell you what, this is a good bunch. This is a good bunch. And when the chips are down or when somebody's in need, this community comes together. You know what I'm talking about. That's how you can say amen when I say, doesn't it feel good to do for somebody else? We need to do more of it. Yeah, we're doing a good job. We need to do more of it. I want to tell you a story, and I believe this is a true story. It was put on the net. and Of course, if it's on the Internet, it must be true, right? So, but, no, I really do think there's, there's a credible source here. But the story goes that somewhere up in the, in the, over in the Midwest, there was this young lady who had a very rare blood disease, and she needed a transfusion. But there were lots of complications, lots of differences in her blood types. They were worried about rejection with this particular disease. And so they're trying to figure out how in the world do we save her? She's going to die if she doesn't get a blood transfusion because of this rare blood disorder. And they find out that her little brother, who is 8 years old, is a perfect match. And he can save her life. And so they approach this little 8-year-old, as you would any 8-year-old, when you get ready to stick a needle in them and pull blood out. They do it very tactfully. They explain to him, listen, Sissy's not doing good, and she needs your blood, or she's not going to make it. She's going to die. This kid didn't want him even talk about it anymore. He didn't need any details. He just said, okay. He said, okay, I'll do it. They get him in there like they always do, and they bring out this needle. I mean, when's the last time y'all gave blood? Have you seen the size of that thing? It's like a McDonald's drinking straw. (laughs) They come at this 8-year-old kid with this McDonald's drinking straw hooked to a tube and a couple of bags, and they're getting ready to hook him up. He doesn't wince. He doesn't cry. He doesn't do anything. In fact, he's laying there with this really serene, peaceful, joyful look on his face. They haven't given him any of the happy juice, no sedation. They're just laying him down, and he looks just fine. They start taking his blood and the kid looks up and he says, so how long before I die? Yeah, this kid thought he was making the ultimate sacrifice for his sissy and he was willing. Now stop for a moment and ask yourself this question. Would you be willing to give your life the ultimate sacrifice for anyone just curious you should be willing what is it we call ourselves Christians little Christs what was his example he paid the ultimate sacrifice and according to Hebrews 12 2 said he did it with joy because he knew what the results were going to be with joy he endured the cross knowing what it meant knowing he'd pay the ultimate price are you willing We as little Christ should be. What was that second great command from Matthew 22, 38 through 40 last night? The first one was love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. And the second one was like unto it is to love your... Does that mean folks live next door to you? If that's the case, I'm good. Just as long as I love on Rick and Patricia Legron, I'm good. I don't have many neighbors out where I live. We pipe in sunshine back there. We still look at the rainbow in black and white where I live. (laughs) So if all i got to do is look after my neighbors, ain't no big deal. I'll just look after the Lagrons, I'm good to go. That's not what it means. Man, do you a little word study on that one. Your neighbor is anybody that you brush elbows with anywhere. It's not just fellow believers. It's not just the people who share blood kin with you. It is anyone that you can do anything good for. Love them, including the Muslims that disagree with you wholeheartedly, including the person that cut you off in traffic and you out there giving them the California howdy. Shame on you. Happened to me one time, one of my church members, but we'll move right on. Um, Honest to God, I told that story in church. I had three people call me that Sunday afternoon. Was it me, preacher? Um, No. But you know, you're to love that person. You don't love those people at work that drive you crazy. That boss that doesn't have a clue how to do the job, but he's always telling you what to do. You're supposed to love that person that drives you nuts because every time you say something, they choose the other side, the devil's advocate, so to speak. You're supposed to love that person in church that you know is looking at you funny. You're supposed to love that lady that walked in wearing your dress. Well, it looks better on her anyway. Let it go. And I, You're supposed to love those mean old deacons that hold you accountable to God's Word. You're supposed to love your pastor when he says something that's uncomfortable and steps on your toes. You are to love everyone that you ever get the opportunity to rub elbows with. And in order to love you have to be willing to sacrifice you see love above everything else no matter what definition you give it is the gift of oneself that's what love is love ain't give and take don't you believe that lies from the pit of hell love's not give and take if that's the kind of love you're giving you're just doing it in hopes of something coming back to you in return love is not about reciprocation it's about giving It's about giving yourself. That's what he's saying. And Jesus himself in those red letters said this, that that is the second and greatest command. So to love God and to be focused on him first is your first source of joy. And then when you look at the second one, it's to love others. That is going to bring you joy, genuine joy, because you will never find joy until you are in the center of God's will. And if you are calling yourself in the center of God's will and you're not loving God and loving others, you are not and you are delusional and you have fooled yourself. And that might be why you're walking around like somebody licked the red off your lollipop. It might be why you can't find any peace because you don't really have him yet. Get on board with Jesus. Accept Him in your heart and life. Live for Him. Love Him and then love other people. It was the second and greatest commandment. And what about Philippians 2.4? And I'm not asking you to turn there because I'm going to get to a message in a minute where I actually want you to go somewhere. Bear with me. We'll be done in an hour or so. As we look at Philippians 2.4, listen to what it says. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also to the things of others. That's the O of joy, isn't it? Others. Don't look after just your own things. In fact, it says, instead, look, every man, and ladies, you're not left out of that. This is mankind here we're talking about. Look unto the needs and on the things of others. That word things is pretty inclusive, by the way. It means all kinds of things of all times. So he's saying, put other people first. Oh, and then there's Galatians 6 too. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? What is that all about? The law of Christ is the law of love and sacrifice. And we are to be bearing one another's burdens and putting other people before ourselves. You see, I'm proving it to you. I didn't make this up. This is not some new foreign concept. This was penned by men who were led by the Holy Spirit to write the inerrant, infallible word of God. And it says, look on the needs of others first and bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Are we fulfilling each other's burdens or are we being a burden on other people? Are we day makers or bone breakers? Is our joy real because we understand other people matter more than us? You see, the bottom line is, instead of running around saying we're number one, we ought to be running around saying we're number two or three or four or whatever it takes to make sure everybody else is looked after. We have got to lose our selfishness and learn to love selflessly if we want to turn the tide in our nation in our churches, in our communities, and we can, and it's right there, it says that. But who was the ultimate example? I keep tiptoeing around it, let's get right to it. In Philippians 2, 7, it says this, but Jesus made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus came to be our example as well as our Savior, And as Christians, little Christ, like Christ, should we not act like he did? Of course we should. Remember a few years ago, those bracelets that were running around, that they were charging exorbitant amounts of money on, and it was just a bunch of silicone bracelets, but it said WWJD. Why was that selling so big? Because we understood that we should be doing what Jesus did, right? Well, Jesus took on the form of a servant by choice. Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28, talks about that very thing. And now I finally want you to grab the word. Open it up to Matthew 20. Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28, for the rest of our time together. As you turn there, we're reading about what it says here. A couple of the sons of Zebedee. Their names were James and John, if you look at the parallel passage. But James and John were apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had been walking with him, ministering with him, and they had just plumb fallen in love with him. They knew he wasn't just another perpetrator. He was the Lord of all creation. They'd seen his miracles. They'd heard his preaching. They knew he was the Messiah, and they had fallen in love with him just like we should. And they wanted to be right there with him, not only then but forever. But they got wrapped up in this one little thing that we shouldn't get wrapped up in, and it was self. Their self-centeredness begins to show. And it says this, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, and with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. Now, nothing wrong with worshiping the Lord and coming to the Lord. We should do it regularly, all day, every day. And it's nothing wrong in desiring something of the Lord if the desire is godly. We'll find that theirs was very self-seeking. And he said unto her, Jesus that is, What wilt thou? In other words, what is it that you want? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. Well, that's a pretty big request, isn't it? But I can understand it. I want to be just as close to him as I can too. I cannot wait to get a hold of Jesus and hug him and tell him how much I love him. But they're asking him a big thing. One wants to sit on your right hand, one on the left. You know, if if he'd have granted that, the one that got the right hand would have been mad because he'd have wanted the left. Just the way it goes with us, isn't it? But Jesus answered and said, you know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I'm to be baptized with? He's asking them, do you understand the depth of what you're asking? You think they're really able to take what I'm getting ready to go through to earn that kind of thing? They said unto him, oh, we're able. They were some of the first to run when all he asked them to do was to keep watch that night in the Garden of Gethsemane but they were able to do anything Christ could do. We'll be careful what you say. He saith unto them, You shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, it's not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And it, this is him showing that you've got to be focused on the right thing first, and that's God himself. Even Jesus is showing us that. But then in verse 24, it says, And when the ten heard it, They were moved with indignation against the two brethren. You know what was going on? They were having a church meeting. Go on and laugh. It's all right. It hurts when it's the truth. But they were having a church meeting, and a couple of people wanted something that a few people didn't, and oh, it's on. Shame on us. Shame on us. Man, we ought not be acting like children in the Lord's house. When you're having a church meeting, you're doing God's business and you need to be acting like God's children. I don't know how business meetings go out here, but I've told our folks for 20 plus years now if a business meeting gets tense, we're going to pray and go home because we ain't acting like a bunch of chaps up in here. But that's what's going on. Everybody's ticked off and mad. Just picture it, a business meeting. You got 10 people mad at the two and then their mama. And I think it's funny they had to get their mama to ask. I mean, grow up, but that's a different story. Just a different story. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them and that they are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you let him be your minister. And whosoever will be the chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So, folks, I see in that a very pointed lesson from Jesus himself. Instead of figuring out what we can get out of this Christian life, To see how much we can get to our benefit, we need to be figuring out how we can be more of a benefit. And I think it was said by a very famous man at some point, Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Boy, that same principle seems to just jump right off my pages here. Don't be asking for what you can get out of me. Why don't you ask what you can do for the kingdom and for others? Jesus said, Even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. He said, Even I, the sovereign King of the universe, the agent of creation, says, All things were created by him, for him, and through him, and without him, nothing was created. This is him. He put on flesh, and he came not to be served, which he deserved but to serve lowly man. Oh, my gracious. If Jesus set that tone, how is it that we are so self-centered and it's all about me? We got to fix it. And if we would, I'm telling you, your joy would be more full than it had ever been. I promise you that. I am a blessed man. I remember Will Rogers said this. I've read this quote many times. Will Rogers said, I consider myself among all men most richly blessed. I could take that away from Him because I feel like among all men, I'm most richly blessed. God is good to me and people are good to me. I, a lot of times I'll say something in the pulpit about I sure would love. I said this the other night. I said, man, I, I love good old muscadines and scuppanongs. I took home two buckets and a flat last night and Uncle Willie brought me two more flats tonight. I'll be making jelly all day tomorrow so it'll be a short sermon tomorrow night. I'm just <laughs> telling you. I got But What am I getting at? I could Willie, didn't that feel good to do something for somebody else? He went and picked them grapes, three flats at this point for me. And Sandy, Sandy brought me those others. Oh, it's four? Great day. I might not even be able to preach tomorrow night. I'll be cooking grapes all day. And then Sandy brought me two buckets. And I said, man, I don't know how much jelly I'll get out of it, but I'm going to make all I can now. I think I'm going to get some good batches. And you know what I'm going to do with some of it? I'm going to give some of it away. Because just like Uncle Willie, Aunt Christine, and Sandy found joy in doing for me, I know what it's like to do for others. And I'm going to tell the story of how they've done it for me, and hopefully that person might share it on a hot biscuit with a friend that comes over as they're talking to them about Jesus with a big old slab of joy on their face. What I'm saying is we need to quit focusing on how we can serve ourselves and figure out how we can serve God by serving others. Amen. We must, because Scripture says it is the royal law of Christ. Let me read to you James 2.8, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. If you fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. James, the brother of Jesus, said that to love your neighbor as yourself And in fact, if you read that closely, love them before yourself, then you are fulfilling the royal law. How many of you want to fulfill God's royal law? I do. I do, and I find so much joy in that because when I take my eyes off Jesus, I'm miserable. And then even if I'm trying to focus on Jesus, if I get a little bit too caught up in myself like James, like his brother John there, I lose some of my joy but when I'm focused on him and I'm focused on others I ain't got time to worry about my petty mess because I'm focused on the only things that matter Jesus and other people it's not only going to bring you joy it's going to bring you a little bit of happiness too because it feels good to do and as we fulfill the will of God we're going to find that true joy as I told you before So here's what I'm trying to say to you. I'm just wrapping it all up in a nice little Reader's Digest condensed version for you. We need to quit looking for how to improve our life and start looking for ways to improve the life of those around us, beginning with sharing Jesus Christ, sharing the source of our joy. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It should be yours. Quit looking for ways to improve your station or situation in life. And begin to desperately seek out and pray that God would show you ways to improve someone else's situation or station in life. And if you do, I promise you this, and this is a money-back guarantee. If you do this, you will have boundless joy. Because I'll tell you, that old cliche is so true. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Let's get busy being Christ-like and loving others. Father God, thank you again for these people seeing a bunch of smiles out there tonight, Lord. I'm seeing a lot of joy on some faces even though there were some eyes that were getting heavy. There's some folks are sitting here tonight it's way past bedtime. but thank you, Lord, that they're sitting here because they want to hear your word. They want to figure out what it is they can do to get that joy back and to hang on to it and to display it. And God, I pray that we would put that joy on display, that people would not only see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, but that they'd see that there are good things going on inside us because of our Father in heaven. Father, I beg you that you would help us quit being so doggone selfish, worrying so much about who we are, and start worrying and looking after the others around us. Because God, everybody in here understands this simple truth. It really is a lot more fun to do for somebody else. And even things that are done for us, it's a whole lot more fun if somebody else does it than if we do it. We get these principles, God, but oh, so many times we just sort of ignore them. And we get sidetracked and our focus just gets real fuzzy. So God, as we've been building this series of sermons, help us to, number one, recognize that we should have joy. We've got every reason in the world to have it. And it should be overflowing so that the world can see it. And if they see it, that's a beautiful part of our witness. They might want to hear about the source of our joy. And as we share that with them, we can tell them our joy comes from the fact that we're focused on you. And then we can tell them we're focused on them and others. And we might just become contagious if we get our joy on. So, Lord, I pray that we'd let this settle in, that we'd think about it and be intentional about looking for ways to put this into practice. Because, Lord, what I fear is that I've said these things and you've spoken it to them through the Word, but... We'll leave here and say, that was a good message, but do nothing different. Lord, help us to be intentional. If there's to be revival, it's going to be because we let these things change us. And I pray that during this invitation that people would begin to beg right now for you to reveal to them how they need to change, myself included. But Lord, during this time, I just pray that you would work in hearts. And Lord, I just about bet that there's somebody in here that hasn't accepted you at all, but you've been tugging on them tonight. When we get together in the Lord's house and hear singing like this and prayers and we hear the name of Jesus that many times, you begin to tug and, Lord, I pray that if you are, that they would just give up, give up and become yours, knowing it will be the best decision they ever make because at that point nothing could ever steal their joy again. But, Lord, whatever it is that people need to do at this time of decision, I pray that they would listen to you and make those decisions. And I pray it in the precious name, of the source of our strength and joy, Jesus Christ. Amen.